Seventh, twenty, twenty-two, who, and let's just um, you know, let's just um, you know, reorganize, you know, some things here, okay? So this is to you know we're we're doing some reorganization here, and. Uh, you know, that's definitely important, and that's why we're doing it. So, okay, so we're going to, you know, move now, you know, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the reciting of the price of Bitcoin to, you know, toward the beginning here. Um, and what we're also going to do now is every single day, we're going to, you know, uh, Quote the price of Bitcoin in a uh, in a new currency. Yeah, How about that. And you know we're gonna go just you know we're doing we're gonna go alphabetical, and we're gonna start there with um, what's it called? Well. I'm assuming actually it might we're not we might not be doing alphabetical even though I'm not sure exactly oh I see it now it's I it's alphabetical based on the currency code uh, I'm looking at a um, you know at a site that has um, it's uh, uh just so you know it's bitcoinprices.org and it um we can see here the the price of btc to all currencies and um you know we're going to start with um the united arab emirates durham um and uh this is where i was confused with if it was in alphabetical order or, or not but it is because the alphabetical order is with the currency code which is the aed okay so we're just gonna go you know from that down and just a new one every day and we will of course still be you know uh, reciting the block height um okay so we're gonna do that first here um so remember this is a reorganization and we're gonna see you know how how it works here um but but yeah 
Okay. Uh, so you got to bear with me here. It's a reorganization. As you know, my assistant, uh, she's off uh, running some errands or something. Um, I don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, but, you know, point is, let's just do that. So we're going to start with the United Arab Emirates Durham. Uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. If not, I apologize. Uh, currency code AED. It is... Uh, 78,371 dirhams uh, uh, per Bitcoin. Okay, so the price of Bitcoin is 78,371 dirham. And the block height is 746636. Okay, so remember, this is just a, a reorganization. So it's going to take, you know, a few days, you know, to really, um, you know, get in the flow of this, uh, you know, this this new flow, excuse me. We, we're going to, you know, just see how it feels, take it easy. And don't worry. Don't worry. It's the most important thing here. Um, by the way, I'm currently sipping on a delicious beverage out of a... Uh, a green can with a with a white logo, and I'm currently wearing a uh, heather gray t-shirt with um, uh, I would say the white and bluish uh, swim trunks, and I am currently barefoot lying down on the bed, um, and I just finished a uh, delicious bocadillo that I made myself with jamón ibérico. Y uh, queso de cabra. Yes, that's jamón ibérico. Y queso de cabra. Queso de cabra is um, uh, goat cheese. Jamón ibérico is Iberian ham. Um, there are um, uh, different types of, uh, of ham. Um, you know, Spain is, you know, um, well, it's it has the best ham in the world. And that is a fact. And, uh, you know, you can ask um, anybody who knows of, uh, of the culinary world and they will immediately second that opinion. Or should I say they will um, restate that fact. But, uh, but yeah, point is that there's a jamón ibérico, there's also jamón de bellota, and there is jamón serrano, um, which is one of the, if not the, the most well-known of the jamones from Spain. But uh, my bocadillo, and remember, bocadillo is a sandwich, and, uh, you know, I picked up some bread at, uh, you know, at a, at a bakery here, um, similar to a, a a baguette it's uh you know that style though it's not exactly a baguette um don't know the name of the of the bread i'll have to i'll have to to check that next time i pick up a loaf point is i made myself a delicious bocadillo with um jamón ibérico and um queso de cabra and uh, i can't really state how delicious it was but i will try 
I will try and uh, you know I did try and I hope that really was sufficient if not well I don't know what to tell you I really don't um, point is that um, it was delicious and you know uh, um, this morning you know um, you know Rioja and I went on a we went on a walk to the outs outskirts of the city. Yes, you heard that right. We went to the outskirts of the city and we ended up getting into the countryside. And I was very happy about this. And so was Rioja because it was our first taste of the Spanish countryside. Yep. I mean, I, I told you I was going to find, you know, the, the Spanish countryside. And I am happy to report that I have uh, succeeded. Uh, of course, it was just, uh, you know, a brief you know foray into the spanish countryside but uh but it was great it really was um you know really got that you know mediterranean countryside um uh r real hot definitely real hot we went out nice and early when it was still you know manageable to be to be out there like that and of course you know brought water for myself and for the dog absolutely and we made sure to take you know a lot of breaks and to always if possible if possible find the shade uh and also we uh we stayed by the river and uh rioja actually had some um some water from the river so we were you know um very uh, cautious about the about the heat and the sun because i mean it can get it can get deadly out here it really can um so you gotta be careful and uh, and of course, I was wearing a hat. Um, you know, point is that um, you know we got a taste of a uh, Spanish countryside. Um, and I almost picked up some um, some um, some local cheese there in the. There was a farm. We passed a farm, and they were uh, you know selling some local cheese. Um, but you know, I decided at the end not to because it was already getting really hot out. And I was gonna have to carry that cheese back with me. I mean, I did have a, um, you know, a small uh, backpack, but um, it was just, uh, it wasn't worth it. But I, I know where the cheese is now, so I'm pretty sure I'm gonna go back one of these days and pick up some of that cheese over there. And I already had some cheese at home, so, you know, I thought about it, but I figured, you know, uh, it just wasn't the day, but I know where it is now. I know where it is and so I will definitely be going back to that farm and um, and uh, and trying out uh, trying out you now whatever uh, cheese they're selling out there I don't know if it's queso de cabra you know if it's a, a type of that goat cheese or, or if it is um, uh, you know it could be uh, a sheep cheese uh, it could also be obviously um, you know cow cheese I'm um, not sure, um, but we will definitely be uh, we'll be going back there. There's really no doubt about that. Um, you know, this was a great walk, and, and yeah, and yeah, and yeah, and yeah. So, so that's that. And you know, uh, let's see what what we got with the the news of the day. Let's see what we got. Uh, New York Times, latest Russia-Ukraine war news, live updates. CNN, 
four dead and 7.0 magnitude earthquake that hit northern Philippines. Impact felt in Manila. Well, you know, that is horrible. And uh, a heart goes out to the families of those uh, lost in the earthquake there. Excuse me. Uh, from AP, Amnesty, uh, colon, uh, Taliban crackdown on rights of suffocating women. Absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. Yep, absolutely horrible. Um, Fox News. Biden to speak with uh, Xi amid warnings that China poses greatest threat to U.S. national security. Oh, man. And uh, CNN. U.S. officials say, uh, quotes, biggest fear, end quote, has come true as Russia cuts gas supplies to Europe. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, oh my God. Okay, that's enough of that. Um, anyways, so you know, I really think today is just a you know a day to. You know, to to reorganize, you know, some things. You know, I'm starting to, you know, feel better. You know, more adapted in this, uh, you know, new uh, new environment. Though, of course, it is an old environment. Um, and I'm also, you know, uh, I'm getting in in touch with my roots. And that's always important, as like I've said before, that I have, uh, you know, um, uh, Spanish roots. So it's, uh, you know, it's important to get in touch with your roots. And I can already feel myself really, um, you know, uh, absorbing the culture easily. Um, and, you know, I think this would have to do because, you know, my roots are, uh, you know, are here. So it's just, uh, it's an easy, um, it's an easy transition. Uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, something to be aware of, you know, that, um, that there is such a thing as, and this has been studied, of course, you know, as uh, generational memory and um you know um memory that is passed down i mean uh through um through archetypes through um you know symbols you know the culture i mean um the great uh, carl jung um uh, you know talked about this uh you know that there was you know this uh unconscious uh, memory generational memory and it's also been uh, uh, proven to exist in uh, in the in DNA and the human genome um, this has been studied though of course it is only 
it, it has only been, you know, we've only briefly or uh, started to get into this. It's, uh, you know, in terms of the science, it's quite complicated and they haven't been able to do, um, you know, really in-depth analysis yet, but they are beginning to, uh, to see that, you know, there is um, generational um, genes, basically. There are, you know, things that, um, that stretch back, you know, centuries, millennia, and is actually encoded in our genes. And they can be actually uh, memories, um, you know, the, that are just passed on. So, you know, once you get closer to your roots, to where, you know, your genes are, um, are shared with other people. Okay, that, that's, that's a way to, you know, one way to explain what, you know, roots, you know, what does it mean to, you know, to find your roots? Well, where are your roots? Well, the one way to explain that is, okay, you know, the people in that area, okay, share, you know, the same genes as you, right? Um, and that would be okay. So they have, you know, uh, you know, similar roots. They're the same genes that encode for the same, you know, uh, memories and and of course other things as well. But I'm really just thinking about right now, you know, the culture, cultural memories, um, uh, and the, you know, as opposed to you know, also getting into physical traits and all that. That's that's obviously part of it. But you know. I'm more interested right now in, in talking about these, how, you know, the culture itself can be passed down through genes. And this has been studied. You can look it up. Um, and of, but of course, it's still at a very, you know, early level because these are very, I mean, it's difficult. You know, it's difficult, you know, to, to find what genes code for what. Um, it's not a, an easy, an easy task. Um, but, um, the science is getting there. So it's fascinating. It really is. Um, point is that, you know, I, I, I can really feel it. I can feel it in the area and they know that my roots are here. Um, so it's just, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain, but, you know, um, it just perhaps similar values, um, you know, um, we like the same food, you know, like I easily, I mean, I love, um, you know, bocadillos. I love you know, jamón ibérico. I love queso de cabra. And it's just like, I could eat it all day. And I didn't grow up in Spain, but immediately, you know, my taste buds, my taste buds, you see, that's, uh, that has to do with, uh, you know, also the, the, uh, the genes, right? Your, my taste buds are very, they they're just naturally um they naturally enjoy jamon um they it's like it's just very natural so it's there's a thing there of how easily one can uh transition into a culture if one um you know uh has roots there that's all i'm saying um and i just feel like that's happening to me here in spain and i'm just you know I'm sinking into the culture very quickly because of, uh, because it's, you know, my roots. It's something I didn't really understand till now, how, how much that does affect one, um, you know, being in, uh, you know, a community there with, uh, 
that shares similar roots. Um, it, it really is uh, an interesting discovery, um, you know, that I am, you know, currently discovering, currently experiencing. Uh, so yeah, so that was just you know just uh, you know something that I've been musing on. Um, that's all, and um, I wonder if you've uh, you know felt the same way. And uh, in the U.S., you know, it's a whole different thing, right? Because the U.S. is uh, right; it's a melting pot of so many different cultures. Uh, but of course, there are certain areas in the U.S. that um, you know that have been. Um, settled for for longer periods of time than others and there have been certain groups certain cultures have settled in you know different parts of the u.s and there you can see how you know certain roots take shape uh, certain communities take shape and uh, you know i think you get the picture but as a whole the u.s of course is extremely young compared to europe i mean europe spain in particular um, is extremely old so I mean the roots here are deep real deep I mean these roots you know extend millennia millennia I mean all the way to the you know to the cavemen um, Spain is has have has some of the oldest uh, human remains uh, ever discovered it has some if not, I, it might be the oldest. It's either Spain or France that has the oldest um, uh, cave paintings uh, in the world. I'm not sure. It might be Spain. Um, the oldest cave paintings in the world are in uh, are either in Spain or Europe, or excuse me, Spain or France. Uh, let's see if we can look that up. Oh no, there's a new one that was that was found. Looks like a new one was found. Oops, sorry about that. Almeria, the Altamaria cave painting is one of the oldest ones. All right, so there's the top. Well, on this list, it says, yep, that the Altamaria cave painting from 35,600 years ago in Spain um, is, is the oldest one that's northern Spain is the oldest um, cave painting now I am looking here at this new uh, this new thing that just came out last year that says that the world's oldest cave painting may now be in uh, Indonesia from 45,000 years ago look at that Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so that one took the Indonesia took the the spot for number one right now, the oldest cave painting in the world. Um, okay, so it's Indonesia, and then it's uh, Spain. Has you know the oldest cave painting in the world. Well, point is, it doesn't change anything from the topic here oh i'm getting a phone call i'm gonna have to uh i think i can pause this here give me a second all right sorry about that um so where were we uh cave paintings you know 
really, you know, just we're talking about just roots, right? Um, and um, by the way, that um, that I'm looking at that that painting of the in Indonesia that they found, you know, the oldest uh, at this moment, the oldest uh, cave painting is of a wild boar. Um, so that is uh, very cool. Um, the Altamira cave painting in northern Spain is uh, a famous one of a um, of a bull. Um, so uh, so yeah, definitely check those things out. Uh, I'm gonna try to go to Altamira um, in northern Spain here um, when um, you know at some point at some point you know. I'm not going to say where in Spain I am. Maybe I will, but not yet. Uh, at some point, maybe I will, uh, you know, give some, uh, you know, more hints. Though I have already given uh, quite a bit. If you've been paying attention. And if not, you know, try try again. Um, point is, I definitely want to go there. Um, you know, Picasso went there to Altamira. And, of course, many other, you know, people have gone as well. But Picasso went and um, he absolutely loved it. And it inspired a lot of his art, including his, um, he's got a series of, um, you know, deconstructing um, a bull, basically. Um, so it is, it starts off with a very uh, realistic um, depiction of a bull. And then, you know, progressively, you know, each sketch, it's a series of sketches, each sketch has less and less um, um, characteristics or realistic characteristics, basically. Um, and until at the end, you know, he deconstructs the bull. And at the end, you know, he uh, he's uh, sketched out a bull with only um, like, um, you know, like five um, brush strokes. Something like that. Whereas at the beginning it was, you know, very, um, very realistic with a lot of detail. At the end, it ends up with just, you know, like five lines. It, you know, you get the picture. Um, it's very cool. Check it out. Um, now, point is, you know, we're talking about, um, we're talking about, um, there's also, of course, in Spain, you know, there's um, a lot of the, uh, of the, of the fossils of Neanderthals have been found. Um, Spain had, uh, you know, is one of the largest populations of Neanderthals in the world. Uh, we don't have to go into, uh, um, you know, the differences between Neanderthal and Homo sapien. Um, it's very complex and not very well known. Um, and it actually depends upon who you ask. And, and I really do mean that. It's not even... Um, it depends on what um, biologist you ask and on um, and how they're uh, um, how they're actually. <clears throat> it's almost arbitrary the difference between Neanderthal and Homo sapien. Of course, there are going to be some people who are going to be like, "No, it's not arbitrary at all. They were two distinct species." And here's the thing. Um, well. The, to those people who say that, and a lot of them are, you know, biologists who do uh, subscribe to that theory, and it's not, and it's, and they're not necessarily, like, this isn't necessarily a, either a mainstream or a fringe theory kind of thing. This is um, a debate uh, in the mainstream um, biology. 
um, because it has to do with how you classify um, species. And of course, this is all, there are no set rules. I mean, there are what biologists have, you know, um, you know, try to come up with, okay, here, you know, one species begins and another one ends. And there's a few different, um, none of these are, are hard and fast rules. But the one, you know, overarching, um, you know, uh, kind of delineating idea is that in order for two species to be distinct, um, if they mate, um, they will have infertile offspring. That is like the most, um, it's like one of the oldest uh, ideas um that you know and that has to do like that's um one very clear example of this is um what's it called is a mule okay that is a very clear example of this um and that explains why a um a horse and a um and a donkey are you know distinct species Okay, because once they um, once they mate, they can mate though. They can mate and produce, um, you know, uh, offspring, which um, which, and that's what a mule is. A mule is the offspring between a horse and a donkey. But a mule is infertile. I don't know if you knew that. Mules are infertile. That is that two mules cannot, um, you know, create another mule they're infertile okay so that has always been the um you know the idea of you know um you know that is one of many ideas but that has always been one of them that that is what separates uh species that if they mate they will have if they can have offspring at all they will be infertile if they have fertile offspring then you know that's where it gets tricky that's where it gets tricky um and and I'm bringing this back to Neanderthal and Homo sapiens because you have probably heard this as well. Um, that, um, you know, they, they say, okay, you know, some humans may have, you know, a large part of Neanderthal genes in them. I'm sure you've heard this. This has been in the news, um, you know, over the last few years, um, because, you know, as, you know, the human genomes has, you know, you know, progress the study of the human genome, we found that, um, you know, by starting with remains of Neanderthals, that there are shared uh, genes there. Okay. All right. Now, if you've been paying attention, I mean, just give it a second. But what's the red flag right here? What's the red flag? If you're now hearing that humans may have Neanderthal genes, and some humans may have more Neanderthal genes than others. What's the red flag right there? I'm going to take a sip here and give you a second. All right, you ready? Let's see. Let's see who's thinking out there. Let's see who's the ace. Are there any aces out there? Are there any aces? There might be an ace. Let's see if you're the ace. Um, okay, because according to, um, right, the prevalent, you know, um, um, biological theory that, 
you know, two um, distinct species cannot have fertile offspring, how is it that humans have Neanderthal genes? Because that implies that at some point back then, right, at some point when Neanderthals and Homo sapiens were in close proximity, that then they mated, okay? But not only did they mate, they produced viable offspring who could then have kids, and that is why those genes passed on. Who got that? Who got that? Who saw that? Okay? And this is where it becomes tricky, and biologists are still, they don't know what to do there. Because um, most biologists are confused when it comes to this. Um, some aren't, but a, a lot of them, um, this is a very tricky subject because, yes, um, at some point, I mean, the only way for Neanderthal genes to be passed to humans would mean that the offspring of the Neanderthal and the human would then have to be able to have offspring, or else that gene could not pass. If, you know, they were distinct species, the Neanderthal and the Homo sapien would produce, you know, something like a mule, right? They would have offspring and they would produce a mule that would have both, you know, um, genes, but that offspring would then not be able to have offspring. And so that mix of uh, Neanderthal and Homo sapien, though, that gene mix would then die off, right? So we would not have now humans that have Neanderthal genes. You see that? So that's the thing. Are Neanderthals and Homo sapiens actually distinct species? It's very tricky because then it, it, it almost becomes an arbitrary distinction of, you know, what is a distinct species? I mean, maybe sometimes different species can have offspring that are viable and maybe sometimes they can't. And it just comes down to that. Or is the whole idea of species kind of... Um, I mean, it's kind of arbitrary. It's just, um, you know, one person calls a species, another person doesn't. These aren't hard and fast rules. That's the thing about biology here. I mean, it's not like uh, mathematics. I mean, there are, there's a lot of gray areas. Um, there, there's not, um, I mean, this is advanced, of course, but, you know, we're, uh, this is baby blue viper, and that's what we're all about. So, you know, I hope that was interesting. Um, you know, look it up for yourself. Um, and you're going to find when you look it up that there's going to be a lot of people that are immediately going to say they're not um, uh, or that they are distinct species. Uh, and those are probably going to be very basic articles. But once you dive into, you know, the actual biologist, you know, the PhDs, um, they're going to tell you that it is not um, that clear cut at all. And um, there is a lot of gray zone here. Um, my point is, you know, it is Wednesday, it is hump day, and, you know, just, uh, you know, have a great rest of your day, um, and yeah, um, and why don't we just, um, you know, think about that, you know, think about roots, think about this, reorganizing, um, and, uh, and yeah, and, uh, you know, I will, uh, see you soon.